0: Life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through You'll be set for life. So I bought a computer in 1996 that was running at 233 megahertz and it had sixteen megabytes of RAM. It had a six gigabyte hard drive in it. And I had a friend said, you'll never fill up six gigabytes. Never. Today, you've probably got more than six gigabytes in your phone in music alone. And the computer itself was a box. It was a big, huge, tall, they call them towers for a reason because they were towering. So today I have a computer called a Mini. It has, I think, six processors in it. And those six processors run at 3.6 gigahertz, and it's got 16 gigabytes of RAM versus the 16 megabytes of RAM I had before, okay? And at home, I have storage space 16 terabytes. Right out of electronic school, I went to work for a company that dealt with memory systems about the size of three refrigerators to hold two terabytes. At home, I've got 16 terabytes in a thing this size of a toaster. So although the computer I have today is so much smaller, it is insanely superior to what I had in 1996. Smaller, but it was a lot better. So you could say that what I have today is greater than the former. Let me start into it. Ezra 2, uh, verse 1. It's about the captives who returned to Jerusalem. Now, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. So to set up the stage of what's been going on, Judah, the Israelite people, they had been sinning against God really, really bad. God warned them, stop it. I'm going to have your enemy come and get you. And they're like, we don't care. They sinned anyway, and they got dragged away. But now they're starting to come back. So again, I ask you to look at Ezra chapter 2, and I want you to see all these Hebrew names and imagine me trying to pronounce them all. And I know that some of you came here just to hear me try to do it. Well, I am totally going to let you down today because I am not reading all of that. So there serves your right. At least I got you in here. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a summary. Basically, the next verses here are saying that all the, it's talking about all the people of Judah that came back to their hometowns again. What that shows us is, is that God was holding his people together in covenant, despite the fact that he had to punish them. Even though you messed up and I had to do something about it and you didn't like it, and it was a 70-year captivity, he still brought them back. So the first people to come back were the spiritual leaders. That makes total sense, because the people need to learn how to get back in covenant with God again. So the spiritual leaders came first. It's my summary of the next 60-something verses, okay? But why is that list so long? I was really looking forward to seeing Ray try to struggle through that. Well, now that he's not doing it, Why is it even in the book? Why is all of that information there? Because to the original readers back then, this long list, it served as a directory. They didn't have internet like we do where you can just go type somebody's name and see what happens to them. They needed this huge directory of people to find out if their friends or their family made it back. But I want you to know that their journey back from Babylon was 900 miles. And it took over four months of dedicated walking to make the journey. If I told you to walk 900 miles, you really have to be dedicated to that, don't you? So their trip back, it demonstrated how badly the people wanted out of their captivity. And I talked to people who claim to be Christians, but they're still in their captivity. They're still doing the old sins they used to do. They don't really want to be out of it. These people show they wanted out of their captivity because they wanted to get back to their own land with the Lord. So the best summary I can give you is that the people wanted out of captivity. They returned with the priority of rebuilding the temple of God, which had been destroyed in the, in second Kings, they wanted to restore their true worship with God. I pray that our nation may someday come to this point where that people finally say, you know What? We really want God. You know, you see movies, they say GD this, they say four letter word that, and I talk about Jesus and I'm the one that's offensive. Isn't that amazing? Our nation's backwards. I can't wait for the day when they go, you know what? We're tired of this captivity. We need to get back to God. This is what Judah was doing. Okay, verse 68. Some of the heads of the Father's houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, Look at this, guys, offered freely. That's amazing. Offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the help. Oh, here we go. The Nephonim dwelt in their cities and all Israel in their cities. So everybody got to come back. Okay, now this is a wonderful moment here. As soon as they got back, they gave. And it says they gave freely. It doesn't say they gave resentfully. It doesn't say, oh, I have to. Oh, gosh. They gave freely as they were able. Now, nobody said, look, I I gave 100 whatever. You, You should give 100 whatever. No, it's as they were able. We're not going to weigh scales on who gives more or less as you're able, you give very important in ministry work, but they gave freely, which basically collectively was large amounts of money to get the temple going back on. Now I want you to consider these people have been slaves in Babylon for a very long time, 70 years. Where'd they get all this money? When you're a slave, where do you get all the money? In chapter 1, King Cyrus, he told the non-Jews, he told all the Gentiles, if you have an Israelite neighbor, you give them money to help them go back. So they came back with this money to build the temple. And so basically, this money that everybody is giving, it was not theirs to begin with. It was given to them by God for his intended purpose. I want you to understand that before I move along. The money you have in your wallet, in your bank account, that is not your money. That is money that God gave you for His purpose. Some of that purpose is for you to pay your house, gas in your car, to get around, groceries, that's for His purpose. But if it just stops with you, you're thinking that's your money. It's not your money. This money was given to these people by God for His purpose. So that's why they had no problem giving it freely. See, people that think their money is theirs, they're the ones that don't ever want to give because it's my money. But the people that go, that's not mine in the first place. I don't mind giving. You see the difference. Man, There's I could spend all day on this part alone. Most people today, if you were to put money in their hands, like these people from Judah did 900 miles ago and four months back, if you were to put money in their hands, A lot of people, they would maybe walk 10 miles, 15 miles or so, but real quick, they would find a way to justify that money as being their own, and the purpose that was intended for would never get done. 20 miles out of Babylon, this looks like a pretty good place for me to build a house right here. I got all this money. Why don't we just stop right here? You're still in your captivity. That's the problem. You're not home yet. Christians, we're not home yet. Don't try to make it happen down here. Oh, I'm going to set up all this stuff right here. And this is going to be nice. You're not home yet. This ain't yours. Remember the intended purpose of what you have in your wallet. You don't go to work to make money. If God wanted to, he could throw you a $50 billion check right now. But he hasn't. He makes you go to work or whatever it is you do so that you will have what's called co-workers. You know, those irritating people that get under your skin. Okay. Co-workers so that you can represent Jesus to them. That's your ministry. Oh, it's my job. I hate my job. If you hate your job, you hate your ministry. That's where God has placed you. So a lot of people say, oh, I got all this money. I'm just going to stop right here. And people like this always quit the journey because they deviate and they start spending on themselves. They abandoned the very purpose for why God gave it to them in the first place. Imagine if they said, you know what? I'm fine right here. I'm just going to stay right here they would have forfeited their bigger inheritance from God because he had a bigger land for them ahead than just what was in their hand. Friends, I want you to know there's a bigger inheritance ahead than just what's in your hand. So what did the people here in Ezra 2 have that a lot of people are lacking today? The people that quit too easy. What did they have that drove them? What was their drive? What was their push that they pushed themselves till they got back home in Israel. They had something that's called vision. Vision is the ability to concentrate on the more important things, the more long-term things. You know, some people can't see any farther than their hand. But if you have vision, you can see a bigger picture. It's long-term goals. Proverbs twenty-nine eighteen says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. In the New King James, it says, where there is no revelation, vision, the people cast off restraint. And, and people, if you turn on the TV, are you seeing people that have cast off restraint? Everybody's going nuts today. Going 50 kinds of crazy. The restraint is gone because they have no vision. They're not seeing where they're supposed to be going. They're distracted and they're not reliable at finishing any tasks or achieving any goals. Uh, how many of you have noticed lately that customer service is really terrible? You can't get anything done. The people just, they're just distracted. I don't know what's the matter. It's not like it used to be. Those who have vision, those people get somewhere. They have drive. They say, that's what I want to do, and that's where I'm going. You have to focus on what you know you're supposed to do, and the little distracting things, you got to set them aside if you, sometimes. I'm going this way, man. And I've lost friends over that. You probably have too, because I had a vision, I have a direction, and some people that ain't going to walk with me, well, I guess I got to see you later. I got to go this way. But the people that have vision, they get places. They concentrate on the big major goal at the end of the journey, and they won't settle for anything less. Those of you raising a family, your family comes first. All the other partying and all the crazy things you used to do, that is gone now. You got kids to raise, right? So vision is the ability to see the destination ahead that you're trying to get to, that you want to arrive at. And without vision, where are you going? If Jesus said, follow me, and everybody said, where are we going? And Jesus says, I don't know. If he didn't talk about being with the Father or being in heaven or any of salvation or none of that, where are we going, Jesus? I don't know. There's no vision. I'm not following you. You don't look like you know where you're going yourself. (laughs) There's no leadership without vision. Without vision, all decisions are sporadic. And without vision, all of your resources are wasted. Everything that was given to you by God, you will waste it with no vision. They still had all that money because they understood why they were making that long journey that could have been so easy to give up on. They had the vision. They understood the importance of arriving at the destination because rebuilding the temple of God again. It meant peace. I'm tired of getting the whip cracked over my back. I've got scars. I've got pain. I'm sick of it. I'm not going back there ever again. They could finally get back into serving and satisfying their God in that temple to get back and have have it rebuilt. Now, without that vision, the people, they would have perished. Friends, when you've been a prisoner, when you have been a captive for so long, you won't want to stay where you were. You want out of there. And I see my brethren, my American brothers and sisters out there, in their captivity. They don't want Jesus yet, because apparently captivity hasn't brought them low enough yet, I guess. I don't know. But when you're ready to make that turn, you buddy, you will be ready. You know the people that are very fiery for the Lord? That's because they had some hard times in their past, I'll guarantee you. They want it out. So I want you to remember when the people of Israel first came into their land for the first time it was back in Joshua's day. Joshua was charged with assigning different tribes their own territories. This this tribe you get over here, this tribe you get that piece of land over there. So what we just read is that the people were back in their assigned locations of their inheritance as God had allocated to them in the past. What God says, I will give you, he will give you. But if you lose that vision, and you waste your provisions, and you waste your resources, and you're not thinking about the Lord, you're not going to get there. You want to believe in Jesus? You better commit to that vision that he is where we're trying to go. Don't just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's fine. You have no vision, and you're bouncing off the walls. You haven't given yourself to the Lord for real. we got to commit to the Lord God and to get back. And use the provisions and the resources he gave you for his purpose. It's not for you. Okay? Ezra 3, oh, I'm already in chapter 3. Wow. We just did 70 some odd verses so fast. Amazing. <laughs> Time warp. Ezra 3, verse 1. And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man. Look at that unity. As one man to Jerusalem. Then Joshua the son of Josadak and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatil and his brethren, Arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses. The man of God, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the feast of tabernacles, as it is written. And offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. See, they're following everything to the letter. We're we're tired of being whipped on. We're going to do everything God's way. And the Bible's Bible's telling us, they got back, we're doing it God's way to the letter. That's what we're seeing here. Verse 5. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated And those, everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. Although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid, they also gave money where that money come from again. Remember it was given to them. They're using it for his purpose. See that says they also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the permission which they had, they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. I want you to recognize they kept the appointed feasts of the Lord. They kept the feast, they kept the celebrations, and today, if you look at modern-day Christianity, they don't know anything about the feast of the Lord God. So the temple's not built yet, but the altar needed to happen now. I don't know if you know what the altar was about. That's where they brought the sacrifice and said, here's my transferred sin burn it. Get it out of here. It's like if you have trash in the house and it smells. Get that trash out of here and burn it. (laughs) So they wanted this altar going, and they didn't fear, fear the countries that said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. They feared God more than they feared those countries, and they built the altar anyway. I'm sorry. You don't like it. That's on you. I'm going. I'm building that altar. They feared the Lord God. The people were actually sorry about their sins. They had regret for it. Today, nobody regrets their sin. They're parading it. So before rebuilding the temple, they had to do this, these sacrifices. You know, friends, you can't do anything else right if your sins are not atoned for. If your sins are not covered, you can't get anything right. So before we build this temple, before we lay the foundation, before we do anything, we need to burn the trash. We need to get right before God. I think that is spectacular to see this in here. If anybody listening to me today, you're trying to make your life work and it's a mess, I'm going to tell you, you get no, you're going to get nothing right until you get right with the Lord your God first. Then everything else will work. Leave your place of captivity. Walk away. Realize what you've been given in your hand belongs to him for his purpose and freely give it for his purposes and get right with the Lord your God before you do anything. Verse 1 says they arrived in the seventh month, and there's an important festival that happens in the seventh month, and it's called the Day of Atonement. They arrived at the day of of atonement. Atone means to cover and make it right. So they got back on the day of atonement. And what timing that God had to get them back into the land just in time for the day of atonement. I think that's incredible. All 900 miles away, day of atonement's coming up. Well, we'll get there just in time. Don't worry. (laughs) God knows what he's doing, guys. You think God doesn't know? You think you're running behind? God knows exactly where you are and where he wants to take you. And when you get there, if you'll follow him, when you get there, everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. What a very fitting way to start the temple. You can't have a temple. You cannot have a body of Christ if there's no repentance in it. So you had to have atonement in there first. You you attend this church. Thank God. I'm glad you're here. But there are things in your life you need to be repentant about if you're going to grow with this church well. So what a fitting way to start the temple work by getting right with God. Before you can have that temple, before you can have that assembly, you've got to be atoned. You've got to have your sins dealt with first. And it says they gathered together as one man. That means they all agreed to this, to build this temple. They were sick of their captivity, which made them more than ready to serve their God again. If you're sick and tired of your old life, you will be ready to serve God his way. You see all the details about how they did this and that and all these things the way God said to do it. People that aren't ready to serve God his way, they want to do things their own way. Well, I don't agree with that. I don't like that theology. I don't care about this because I don't like it. Well, apparently your captivity hasn't got you there yet. So they were here as one man. They agreed to it. And they still had all that money that was given to them by God. And they said, let's get it done. And so the temple project is going to start up, Ezra 3 and 8. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons, and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God, the sons of Henadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. So the Levites are involved. Only Levites could be priests. So verse 8 gives us a date which marked 70 years that they had been in captivity in Babylon. We just jumped 70 years from the time of the second Kings. Now, Why did it take them so much time after they got back to start rebuilding the temple? So there's a little bit of time that had passed. There's a a bit of a span of time. Basically, it's logistics. First, people got to have some homes to live in. I'm glad they did the atoning first. They got the altar first. You got to make some houses to live in first. They had to assign a workforce for labor. Plus, they had to get materials uh, shipped in which were mainly cedar logs from the forest of Lebanon. That's where King Solomon got his for the first temple era, was cedar logs from Lebanon. But I want you to take notice of who their main manager was. That was Zerubbabel again. First off, he was the grandson of King Jehoiakim. You remember that wicked king? He was thrown, dethroned and he was put in jail for 37 years before he finally got right with God. Zerubbabel was a descendant of King David. And as a descendant of David... That makes Zerubbabel an ancestor of Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. He's an ancestor of the Lord God, of Jesus. And he's the one saying, let's get this temple built and I'll oversee it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Set for Life. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for-